I mean, I thought that Hurst showed up at the beginning of season three, but he's there right at the be- in the first episode. He's already there, and like so, he must have shown up two or three episodes into the end of season two or something. Well, I feel like um, uh, one of those characters is like Hurst, like messenger, the guy that kills all the whores at Trix at not Trixie's place. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know that like, guy. He he's working two, for yeah. Hurst, so he's like you know. Hearst is kind of like, you know... He's getting, present in there. Yeah. And then he shows up Because they keep real, throwing his name around, and then you you realize it's Major Dad whenever he shows up end of two or beginning yeah. of three, whatever. And it's so great, like... Um, because it's uh, it's great to see how he his character sort of unifies all the other characters. I mean, yeah, uh, and and then the kind of the conflict is is good because enemy of my enemies, uh, my friend. Kind of sure, stuff. Yeah. but the way the way things are, it's just it's just a really well written show, just for the language and the, uh, the the comedy. And I mean, I was I think. Um, I mean, I saw it a long time ago, whenever that's originally when it aired. So I'm like a different person now watching it. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate certain things differently. I think about things in a different way. But um, yeah, so I've enjoyed been enjoyed catching up with that before I... Part of me is like, man, I should have just rewatched the whole show. But then I'm kind of like, eh, whatever I remember about the first season, it's kind of like got a good start and then it kind of... It's more just the conflict between Bullock and Al, and I think I like it better when they're sort of on the same team yeah. in season three. Yeah, you know? you're you're fine with what you did, um, it, you know, starting with three is the, the refresher, because you're going to get, you know, snippets of things that happened in one and two, or the history between Al and Bullock or whatever. Uh, you know, you're going to be able to glean that through season three, and then you'll go right into the movie, the movie which is like... Can't remember how many years later it is, but they're all older, and they, you know, they they couldn't deny that fact because I mean I don't know how yeah it's been at least ten years. I mean right, her, since the show ended, assi- yeah. I mean essentially like this isn't spoiler, and this isn't going to ruin anything for you. But Hearst essentially is the uh, he's like the senator of California or something, and he's like bringing oh. he what he what his latest scheme is is he wants to bring power through Deadwood, so he's oh, bringing okay. like the power <laughs> power poles. That'll- That'll be interesting. Yeah, it's it's that. cool, and it's you know it looks really good. Like you can tell the town at, or mm-hmm. the set has grown like in ten years of growth. Like sure. the houses are bigger, and there's more buildings and stuff, so it feels bigger too. Just I don't know, little touches like that are that matters. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay, welcome to the Futile Podcast tonight. It's Ian and it's Jeff from Futile East. And we are going to talk about... Uh, Futile South. David... Futile South? Oh, right, yes. <laughs> That's true, right. Yeah, not quite the... Don't lump me in with the, the Northeast, please. Oh, never, never, of course, yes. Futile, Futile South, Southeast. <laughs> we don't have a Southwest location yet. We're working on it. We're having franchises. It's going to be a whole, <laughs> a whole thing. There'll be a whole documentary about it, and everyone will, will love it. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about uh, David Milch's Deadwood. Uh, primarily, I guess we're just going to kind of talk about the movie that just came out here recently and uh, whatever else. So real quick, my history with it. Um, I watched the original show. I don't know how the release worked because HBO is always kind of weird with stuff. Sometimes they give creators enough time to do what they do, and so there might be a couple years between seasons. I think the third season was either airing or had aired. It certainly aired about the time that I watched it, I think. So I don't I don't think so it had been quite a few years since I'd 
watched anything Deadwood. And I only watched it once, but I watched it from the beginning through and kind of a binge watch thing before Netflix or any of that. Um, my brother really liked it, so I watched a lot of it with him. Um, I think we both got a kick that the uh, Al Swearingen character, um, Ian McShann, who everybody kind of now knows a little bit better for various roles he's played in, you know, John Wick and, you know, uh, American Gods and all that. But we knew him uh, from the old uh, Masterpiece Theater type days uh, when when we'd uh, watch uh, the Sherlock Holmes series. And then after that, there was a, a show called that he actually, I think, wrote and created called Lovejoy <laughs> about this uh, kind of ne'er-do-well uh, art dealer type guy. And and that was a fun show, and Seth and I just kind of got a kick out of it. So we always called him Lovejoy when we were watching <laughs> watching Deadwood. Nice. But, uh, yeah, so in terms of what I could actually remember from the series, I mean, I remembered kind of uh, not much, honestly. I remembered stuff from the beginning. I remembered kind of Bullock comes into the, to the, to the town, and there's drama and stuff with him and Swearingen and kind of just the, the machinations of what's going on. And the language, language is very... Um, I don't know. I don't think purple is the right term uh, because I think that has a different connotation. But Shakespearean it's just, swearing. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It's this kind of old, old, old West iambic pentameter stuffy stuff. And um, and I remember that while Bill was in it, and you know that there's a cool moment when like Bullock and Bill both are like taking some guys out, like in the second episode, and it kind of is supposed to demonstrate that Bullock's pretty damn good with a gun too, like comparatively to Wild Bill. And uh, so then you're kind of spending a lot of the show, uh, at least the first season, sort of being introduced to the town through Bullock as this kind of guy who's like a marshal, or I think he, he, I don't remember how that works, but but he ends up becoming the lawman and just sort of trying to negotiate how everything works in what is this sort of epitome of Old West kind of environment, and um, and there's a lot of kind of humor mixed in with sort of brutality and uh and in a weird way uh, not even a weird way i suppose but in a very authentic way there ends up being some moments of real humanity um and i remembered uh brad duriff's character who's the physician and kind of standing out as being interesting casting for him because usually he plays creeps and weirdos and in this and in deadwood for the most part he was kind of like the only person that was kind of like a pure good guy (laughs) yeah i agree and and so that that I liked I I, I like it when um, I mean people talked about that um, oh what was that movie called that came out a couple of years ago by the Tangerine guy uh, with the kids in Florida uh, where Willem Dafoe played uh, Florida you know, Project like a Florida Project and he, he played just sort of the superintendent just kind of a a reasonable nice regular guy and said wow he's not playing a creeper or a weirdo you know it's like obviously Willem Dafoe has played characters that weren't creeps and weirdos in the past and stuff too but. It's always nice to see those uh, kind of actors be able to be like, oh, it's nice. You know, like a Michael Shannon not being like a creeper or weirdo. <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, Duruff's character is kind of like, he's more like the comedic uh, or or moral compass or whatever to the to the show. I mean, yeah, he's just looking out for the health of everyone, and that's about it. Like, he doesn't have as many demons as some of the other folks. Right, or like you said, he... He, he plays it comedically to a degree, but he also plays off comedically compared to everything else, and so that's that's good. So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember, because I had my timeline kind of messed up, because uh, I was about to, I was going to watch the movie, but I wanted kind of a refresher on the show, and part of me thought, man, I could probably just re-watch the whole show. I really feel like I kind of, it's been it had been long enough, 
but I was kind of, you know, there's so much stuff. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with all the stuff to check out or watch. And then when I messaged you about it, about rewatching, you know, a season or whatever, and you said to just check out like a best of on YouTube, I was like, oh, maybe I'll. I thought I was going to just maybe watch it the last two episodes of the third season. And then I was like, you know what? Screw it. And I just started the third season. And I thought. I thought the third season... I remembered Hurst being a big part of the third season, but I thought he was introduced at the beginning of the third season, but I guess he's introduced at the end of the second because he's already there with stuff happening at the very beginning of the third season. And like it's already like... It starts with like some kind of scheme to murder some people some people at his camp. Oh, hang on a second. <laughs> Somebody will have to guess what that was. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, a a ghost well, turned my TV on for some reason. That's fine. Well, at the end of the show, if people listen all the way through, Jeff will reveal what that was. So, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I'm still guessing myself. I don't know. Right. Anyway, um, yeah. So, so I, I kind of had my timeline mixed up. I feel like I thought that I thought that Powers Booth's character Sid Tolliver was introduced to be kind of a more evil in some ways uh, version of Al Swearingen. To kind of temper Swearingen to make it see, you know, to place Swearingen more properly, sort of in in the guys like sort of trying to run down the middle and kind of keep everything in the complexity of the town working in the way that it needs to work in order to actually work and not with like you know an overwrought idealism. <laughs> yeah, no, I but think I, I think the reason does Oliver you... show up in in at the end of season one or some or how does he, how, I, or is he season two as well? That's a good question. I don't really recall i would guess he shows up either at the end of one or the beginning of two and i think right. kind of what you were mentioning earlier with Hearst, like i think it's hard to spot when he comes in because they because that guy comes in to represent him right in two and you know you hear his name all the time but you know it's not until major dad shows up you actually like get him but they right. talk about him and foreshadow him all the time but yeah yeah he becomes this looming force and even more so is like the connotation of him as a character because these things are happening that he's setting into place and then the character that does come in ends up being a serial killer psychopath <laughs> and it's kind of like oh boy this is the kind of people this guy hires so i don't know yeah um, well so, well now that you've seen the movie what uh um, right based on my advice like can you kind of see what i was mentioning in regards to like how they kind of remind you in flashbacks of like exact like because i kind of needed that stuff because i wouldn't have remembered like the blonde that they like passed off as trixie you know to satisfy hearst in three and um, stuff like that so i feel like that was actually pretty well done yeah i think that that was well done for people that because it's um, 10 years ago or whatever right exactly yeah i mean i um because I watched, had, like, I literally had finished rewatching season three, and then like two days later watched the movie. So, so for me, it was like, okay, they're contextualizing this. They're showing it for people that don't remember. For me, I did because I just seen it. And if I hadn't just seen it, I absolutely would have. I think that even with the flashbacks, I probably would have been sort of like still having to put the pieces together. And so, in a weird way, I mean, I get the context of the flashbacks. The only one I think that they use from season anything other than season three is a bit with wild bill and jane which would have been like the pilot probably yeah that and bullock and uh what's her name's relationship um i feel like there was some going back to all the way to season one like before bullock's wife shows up 
But yeah, right. So, or sister-in-law, which yes, sister-in-law becomes the wife, depending yeah. on your slant. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think um, it, it, it's a tricky one because uh, getting into the movie now, you know, it, it, I think the movie is supposed to be set ten years after the end of the show. Is that correct? I think they say it pretty yeah, explicitly. Yeah, it does seem like wow, everyone has definitely aged more than that, or they've aged them up quite a bit more. Like I look at Charlie Utter, and I'm like, this guy looks like he's twenty years older than he did in the third season. Yeah, and it's like a technology revolution as far as Deadwood's concerned. You, they, you can kind of see like when they, you know, uh, I feel like there were some aerial shots or whatever where you can see how much bigger the town is now and you know there's bigger houses and more you know more stone and stuff yeah and, and there's just, more stone and, and there's, there's electricity yeah and there's a phone <laughs> yeah and that's and like you said that, that and so then that becomes the newest i mean the whole the whole point i think is you're introduced in the movie you're introduced to, to jane coming back to deadwood so that's kind of a, an interesting like effective way to kind of reintroduce us to what's going on with the town um, is that train station that, like pretty? That's pretty much at Deadwood, right? I, I didn't recall the train station from the series, but it's I, not I thought in that the was, series. I thought that was pretty cool, like how the rails go, come straight into town. So it's like a legit like yeah, city now that, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they added all that, and then you you know you find out that the big inciting event or whatever for for, for what's going on is that Senator Hurst is going to be coming back to Deadwood to. You know, working to do what he's always trying to do, which is force people into modernity. <laughs> yeah, all under on his own terms, with his own, uh, uh, you know, kind of vicious and, and brutal, brutal way. Now he he wasn't a senator in the show, right? He was just a businessman, no. right? Okay. Yeah, no, so, he was so just a man with many various holdings. In the ten years, okay. Yes, yes, and it, and it and it weird, and it feels very much like the kind of thing that the character of Hearst would have reluctantly done for the purposes of... Um, <laughs> His own benefit. Uh, I, well, obviously that, but but it, but it's a strange thing because I always, I'm always struck when people talk about like uh, people running for offices and being greedy for power or money and stuff, and I'm, I was struck by like the very first episode of the Superman animated series that Bruce Timm and those guys did, where the, the Lex Luthor character, like, that was one of the best things they did in that series is that they really did give Lex Luthor a complexity. And Clancy Brown's performance as the voice is great. But Lex Luthor has a great line um, at some point. Well, in the first episode, he talks about how he pretty much everybody in the whole town of Metropolis, city of Metropolis, uh, works for him whether they know it or not. And then later on, there's this idea of him maybe running for president. And he's like, do you know how much power I would have to give up to become president? And and like those kinds of things are are I think definitely what's going on with like a Hearst char- with the Hearst type character For sure. is and, and you've got the Daniel Plainview thing that uh, isn't in the movie but is definitely in 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 the third season you get just a few moments of Hearst I don't know if he's talking to uh, to just one of his people or if he's talking to Swearingen but he talks about really just like all he wants to do is listen to the earth and find the color you know dig out the gold and uh, and doesn't want to be around people and just wants to just you know can't stand humanity in some way so there's this definite like strong misanthropy going on with that character that's very much similar to what you see explored in uh, you know there will be blood with Daniel Plainview for sure and, and he and he 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 also has a lot of great points about like bringing modernity to people and he talks about how all the different groups and everything are constant states of conflict, but that yet, with you know gold, 
everyone kind of agrees it has a value and that's where commerce and and things uh you know can kind of broker a kind of uh I don't know, <laughs> kind of peace for lack of a better term. And that's still like a popular idea now that I think is, holds some water. You know, the idea that like two countries that both have a McDonald's probably won't go to war. You know, those kinds of things. <laughs> I don't know about um, that. Well, exactly. It's, 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 a, it's, a def, it's sort of a, you know, it's a, it's a facetious, you know, simplification. But, but, but obviously when they're, when they're locked in economic interest that benefits both of them based on agreed about principles of how those systems work, then it kind of doesn't matter whether you, you know, w- which direction you pray in or <laughs> what time of day you do what, you know? I think that's kind of um, what's interesting about Deadwood in general is like all those little, you know, within all the characters that the show does such a good job of, you know, fleshing out and letting you you know, get to know what makes them tick is, um, you know, all these little kind of not voting blocks, it's interest blocks where you, where they all kind of can, you know, lump together for mutual gain and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like where, you know, in season one, you would never think Bullock and Swearingen would see eye to eye and team up on something, but like lots of those sort of little things seem to happen. And that's what, and that's super interesting. So, yeah, by, yeah, for sure. By season three, you've got Bullock, Bullock and Swerdgen on the same side because, the, you know, Hearst is is pushing things in a direction to basically turn it into a company town and take it over, and that's not what they want, yeah. obviously. Yeah, and same thing with the movie, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, I, f- I, mean, I feel like the movie was super effective at, um, you know, just bringing all those characters back in. And it was, I think, the thing that struck me you know the most watching it on the first time was just how they got all those actors to come back and how oh, they're absolutely not, like i was surprised they didn't try to cram in a bunch of characters like that's normally what you would expect but aside from that new prostitute or whatever i can't think of anyone else that, it's been a little bit since i've watched it but um they didn't try to bring in a bunch of new stuff it's really just playing with all those characters that you spent three seasons with or whatever um where they realize like the characters are the show it's not really you know any one big storyline it's kind of like kind of like the lethal weapon dynamic right when you see like three and four and you realize that like they don't give a shit about making action movies anymore they just want they just know that people want to spend time with Riggs and Murtaugh kind of stuff and the right. families, the family theme or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. I feel like the movie did a real good job of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it got, they got, they brought everybody back with the exception of Brian Cox, who was kind of a theater troop leader in the third season and probably didn't really need to be there anyway. I mean, I have no doubt that at some point in some version of the script, he was there. They maybe. I could even see a situation, I didn't research this or whatever, where maybe he shot a scene or two and it just didn't work. In the, I mean, the movie's a tight two hours. Yeah. That movie could have been two hours and 20 minutes and it probably could have been more indulgent um, to, you know, little fan service things. I think as it is, it definitely plays like a quote-unquote love letter to the fans. It didn't need to exist, but the fact that it does, and it, like I said, it does kind of put a nice bow around... You know the, where the story ended because where the story ends, yeah. you're, you're left with left with kind of a, a pretty harsh cynicism. Uh, you know, Bullock loses the election to get to become the sheriff, and uh, the uh, 
the woman uh, who uh, had the gold, the big gold claim that Hearst really wanted, finally just gives up and sells it to him. So that, you know, because he just keeps pressuring her. So Hearst kind of wins at the end of season three, and uh, Hearst is still winning, if, you know, in all practical senses here in in the movie. But you do see this um, kind of, you know, camaraderie with all these other characters coming together to kind of represent you know, a way to stand against him. And then they literally, you know, drag Hearst. I mean, spoilers for the Deadwood movie and, <laughs> and up to some degree for the series. I mean, Beat down. I would say, I would say, yeah, they drag him out. And then, you know, the, the mob rule kind of beats him down, which I, I, I don't know. I mean, I always, I, that's pro- that kind of stuff is always problematic because it's like, you don't want mob justice to be the justice you get. But if that's the justice he gets, then, you know, at least it's something. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I think I, I, so. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, like you know, you had uh, you had the sort of relationship romance, which for its time in season three, ten years ago, with Jane and uh, and, uh, and and Stubbs, uh, you know, sort of a uh, th- their thing was uh, kind of got to come back around, and you got to see that maybe Jane, who had been really struggling since the death of Bill, and you know become an alcoholic and all that was maybe going to find some kind of peace in her life with with this new person i'm i'm surprised she lasted an extra 10 years drinking like that but yeah uh right yeah i you get the sense that maybe she had started to cut back or was kind of done with it but was still kind of you know punch drunk just from life and being unless (laughs) unless that's just how she is yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i get a sense that that wouldn't be too hard to go out um yeah, I mean, just in terms of the plot stuff, like you said, the, the through line is of the conflict of what's going on is Hearst shows up, just does a parade, is trying to do more. He wants to move the power lines through a bit of land that Charlie Utter owns, and it's a nice little pristine piece. And, you know, Charlie Utter could probably try to, you know, lease the land to Hearst, which we, we know Hearst wouldn't go for anyway. You know, because Hearst's all about steamrolling and, you know, buying it at, you know, the cheapest he can and muscling it out. And Charlie Utter's always been kind of a nice guy since the beginning. You know, he was there with Bill and, and all that. And so, you know, Hearst guys take him out. <laughs> they kill him. And that unifies the town because everybody liked him. Everyone knew that he, he was, he like the doc, was another kind of just good guy for the most part. Now, I don't remember if there's some stuff in the first season maybe where he's finding his way after Bill's death to become a member of the town. But he does become kind of a deputy and he becomes like the post office guy or whatever. Yeah, no, I think him... Like what happens to Utter is probably the you know one of the smarter moves. It's not like an Agent Coulson sort of bullshit martyr where right. that character really didn't make sense. But Charlie kind of over multiple seasons kind of proved that he's like that sympathetic. Like everybody likes this guy. Nobody should hate this guy. Kind of character yeah. that kind of earns that uh, rallying around uh, him. Absolutely, him, him getting you know <laughs> what happened to him. They didn't quite fridge Charlie Utter. It was it was it was yeah. an earned fridging, sure. <laughs> as that to use to use the social social media term or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, so that works. Uh, I think that the, the the quality of of shooting, like it didn't look bad. It, like you said, they built built up the town. The characters are all there. They've all aged, but there's still a lot of commonality going on. They, um, you know, they have the two big sort of TV tropey things, which is a baby in a wedding and they kind of just get him out of the way and they use the wedding for the sake of kind of bringing the characters together yeah. and for having having a kind of real moment between Trixie and Swearingen 
where you know, spoiler alert, Swearingen is you know on his last legs. He's he's not gonna be. He's not. He's he's dying. <laughs> and um, you know, kind of but like, not without <laughs> rebuking yeah, God. Not, <laughs> exactly, exactly, and not without you know, not without kind of having having at least a decent moment with 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 Trixie to kind of you know, like I said, get at this sort sort of. And didn't he leave her scru- the gym like? Yeah, he did. Okay, yeah. I, I I thought there was something that kind of like cemented that relationship between Trixie. Like I was saying earlier, like there's so much chemistry in between just pairs of people right. in the show. Like even down to like I love Wu and Swearingen's little relationship. Oh, absolutely for comedic. The same way with Doc and I guess they're mostly centering around Swearingen. Like I don't know what it is right. about that, but. People cling, you know, the chemistries, uh, they seem to cling around him, and that's the most fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, um, he, he brings the most, yeah, I mean, he was just, it's just funny and, and ridiculous, and, and, you know, but, and he's kind of, he's, he becomes the real deal anti-hero, certainly in season three, where you're like, okay, how's Al gonna figure out, and everyone, to the point where it's like obvious because everyone in the show is that way too. They're all kind of trying, especially Bullock, because Bullock's the hothead. So he's going to go off and do something like he grabs Hurst by the ear and drags him into prison when he's drunk one, you know, into jail, you know, when he's drunk one night, and that you know is a situation. And um, you know, Al never quite manages to get one over on Hurst, and that's probably kind of a realistic thing. But but the whole time, you know, you're all kind of including characters in the show are all kind of like, Al, what what are you gonna do? What are we gonna do? And he's like, I'm thinking about it, you know. <laughs> Back, you know, wish I could just slit some guy's throat. That's what I'm good at, you know. <laughs> yeah, like he's such a good like businessman. Like he has those uh, you know those traits of like negotiation and whatnot that he kind of shows <laughs> throughout. That was probably more in the series because he's kind of on his right. way out in the movie. But you know. Uh, I think that was such an interesting part of the swear engine character, aside from all yeah. his swearing and stuff. But right, yeah. I mean, I'm trying. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think of all all the other good chemistry examples, like like even like the 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 crippled chef, like whatever her name is, and and Dan, yeah. Like all that stuff is just great. Like like I said, yeah, I just yeah. want to spend time with these characters. Like I don't even like. I can't even remember, like, the... Aside from, like, knowing Hurst is trying to get land to bring power in, like, the rest of it, I just kind of evaporates. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's really... It really is just, like... It, it just plays like a family reunion movie or something, you know? It, it's, exactly. It's totally for the fans. Yeah. It's, it would be hard not to say... And to a degree, I, I was kind of wrestling with myself about on what, how, what level this has got. This is Deadwood fan service slash pandering to fans, you know? I mean... Right down to Swearingen, like one of his last things he says to Trixie is he calls her a loopy cunt, which was like his phrase for her all the time when she'd, she'd have things. So like, like you know, that's, but of course that, that last time he says it to her is, is, you know, is endearing and heartfelt and, and it's supposed to kind of bring a tear to your eye if you've, you know, been with these characters through, through the series. So it definitely demands a certain kind of like, uh, like okay familiarity with all those those things beyond just the flashbacks they give you for like plot points to kind of connect where these characters mentally are at in some places which i think the most part those flashbacks work because they're based on a character's state of mind even now they're not so they don't place so entirely like service of exposition to connect a dot it's i mean even though they accomplish that they you know play like okay this is trixie being you know thinking about how somebody 
some action she took resulted in somebody else being killed and what that you know means to her and the guilt that she carries around about that and you know now she's about to have a baby and get married and try and maybe can have a happy life until she feels she deserves it so so she gets a bit of an arc in the movie that uh, was uh, le- left over from unresolved stuff in, in in the show in some ways she might be the one that gets the biggest one I think the Jane and Joni and their relationship gets you know gets to kind of you know maybe get connected because I don't know that that was completely successful because when Jane comes in of course Joni's kind of doing doing the drugs and she's been through whatever trauma she went through in season two. Yeah, I don't like, even remember where that ends. Like, uh, what happens with them after Charlie's fu- funeral? Does that like bring them together, or are they at the wedding? I, think I, don't, so. I don't even remember all that stuff. I think I think that, that what they use is that they use that because Joni was pretty mellow in season three. She was having problems with stuff, but she was trying to like find some of her own redemption, for lack of a better term. And like I said, I didn't revisit season one and two, so I don't remember all the stuff that happened to her in those seasons but she so she was you know she was in a rough place in the movie at the beginning you know kind of running you know sit because because powers booth was dead so tolliver's character wasn't in the movie and Joni kind of naturally has taken over that you know that establishment with the prostitutes and the casinos and the drugs and has kind of fallen into that and so when Jane comes back, Jane started trying to pull her out of that to a degree, but then Charlie gets killed. And so then Jane kind of falls back into, you know, her own kind of, you know, misery. Okay. Yeah. And that seems, I think you're right. Then I think that that seems to sort of snap Joni out of it. And then together they kind of, I get the sense that, that they're kind of going to maybe travel the world. Because I think they talk about, there's a line about going to Paris or something. And, you know, and Jane says, well, I've never been to Paris, never wanted to go. But if you want to go, let's go. You know? That should be so the I sequel. I, I'd like to see Jane in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I get the sense that they're, they're heading off. Um, and in a, in a weird way, and I think this speaks more to me, like as I re- revisited season three and the 10-year gap of how I've changed as a character watch and how I view characters and shows and stuff. I remember being kind of disappointed that the Bullet character didn't kind of step up into the into the forefront as sort of a more heroic character in the original Deadwood series. He almost became kind of comedic and so he would make he would take you know moralistically strong acts and at times and he was still a good guy for the most part. But he had his own flaws and he was you know temperamental and things and would make you know make mistakes because of that, which makes him a more interesting character. You know, as now being older, I can kind of appreciate that more. Um, but his character ended up, you know, ends up still kind of just being kind of bland. I mean, to a degree, I guess you're trying to trying to see if he's managed to mellow out. And you get that sense to a degree because you have him doing, you know, w- with with Hurst in the movie, you know, he's pretty restrained. And so, I, I mean, in terms of like what you're looking for to see, like where characters were left off in season three and then where they're kind of concluded in, 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 the, in the movie, I, I think, you know, what you get with Trixie, what you get with... Um, Jane are, are both probably the strongest um, and then everybody else is just kind of living their life and moving along and modernity is happening and they're there kind of and they, they are just kind of side players and it's nice to sort of see them for a minute I mean it's nice to Dan has cleaned himself up a bit more so yeah, he's, he, for sure. he's, a, he's a, the more dapper of the henchmen and will probably go on to manage whatever Trixie wants the gem to be you know so you could see that I mean because you had that um episode in season three that's that with the brutal fight the one that milch i think wrote oh i love himself, that yeah where, where he rips that guy's eye, guy. eye yeah. out yeah yeah Gen- and, and that 
that I think really was a turning point for Dan, you know, because like when you kill someone with your bare hands, I think like that, on that in front of all these people. Yeah, uh, what then, uh, what happened with Dan at the end of season three? Where does that leave off with him? Is he he's still there? He's still doing things, but he's definitely been he's been through it. And I mean, he's kind of wanting chomping at the bit, wanting to go get more men to help. When Hearst guys come in, you know, so make sure that they're ready for like what would I mean? They they, they sort of start to hint it, it, in season three that there's going to basically be some kind of big Marvel style conflict, yeah. you know, with a big battle, and it doesn't happen, which is like more of a like real like this is you know how things actually go kind of thing. Well, that's why so, when you said like I don't know if the Deadwood movie needs to exist or whatever, I was like I think it needs to exist just because of the way season three kind of was. It was good, but not as like. It didn't have a lot of closure in it. I I don't know the history with the store with the uh, show, right. but did it? I mean, I assume it just got canceled or or whatever, right? It was it was on again, off again. I think a few times. I think it was uh, on when they finished season three. So there was definitely plans to do a four, and then it just didn't end up working out and didn't end up happening. So I I don't know on how much you know they had plotted out what a, a fourth season would have been. Obviously, any of those... I'm so, assuming some of those elements they probably just took and put into the movie and skipped ahead a few years for the sake of being able to then add even more to, like, you know, of a depth to what's going on with, you know, the push towards modernity, as I keep saying. I would imagine that probably the Charlie Utter death was would have happened in season four to be the, the uh, you know, grounding, like I said, the rallying cry for all the characters. Yeah. And it probably would have just had some sort of tacit ending of Hearst having sort of a... Uh, practical victory, but the town clearly being against him, which is kind of how season three does end: is that Hurst wins, but everybody's begrudgingly like angry about it, and we'll just see. I mean, season three doesn't have a super satisfying sense of closure for the characters necessarily, but there's not a lot of loose threads either. It does have like kind of an abrupt sense of an ending, but it's effective. I mean, so I'm not saying that the movie doesn't need to exist in a way where like, it's a criticism of the movie existing, but I'm saying that. You know, it, it, the season three doesn't doesn't end in such a way entirely where you're like, oh my god, I need to know what happens to this and this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah you know, uh, but but so in doing the movie, I think they do a good job of kind of giving you those things without, but in a somewhat natural way, and it helps that they had the ten years so they could show, okay, these things have progressed. You know, uh, this relationship between Star and Trixie, and now they have a, are about to have a baby, and so that's. That gives you time for that to happen so it doesn't seem super rushed or play off super soap opera, you know? Like, if it was done in the fourth season of the show, it would be like, let's have a baby, I love you, blah, 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 or something. Yeah. Uh, that might be kind of kind of hokey. Um, oh, God. Yeah, I had completely forgotten until you just said that, that Brian Cox was part of season three. I had completely forgotten about his little traveling play or, or stage right. well, act I mean, or whatever. And I was like, oh, man, he was a good addition uh, to, the, was, to these type fun. of characters, so especially in that role as like a a playwright or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he was boisterous, and, and, and he was also uh, like he ended up ends up becoming Hearst's chiropractor, kind of. Like he, <laughs> oh he right! Tricks up. Oh my god! Yeah, I forgot about. It, that. So it's it, it, I mean, season three has a lot of lot, it, the whole thing had a lot more humor, and it could just like I said be that I'm older now, and so I'm more tempered to you know these kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, not in a bad way, but that whole thing with Brian Cox is kind of forgettable because it is just sort of its own little side thing. 
And much like a TV show, you could see that there were storylines there that they could have continued to explore because it is like a bunch of characters. That's what TV does well is it gives you a bunch of characters to be interested in and whatever else yep. and see see what happens to them. Um, it's just got that much more time to flesh them right, out. Right, yeah. yeah. So in this movie, they, they did a good job of giving you a lot of characters, give, catching up with some of them, and then giving you some sense of kind of a, a nice... Not necessarily complete closure, but a, a bit of an arc for them to see that where they were going to go was maybe going to be a pretty okay place, you know, given the reality of the times and everything else. You know, Hearst is going to win ultimately, um, and uh, that's just the way it goes. But it doesn't have to mean that everybody else ends up dead or miserable. So some of them can find redemption, and some of them can leave and go find some peace and happiness. And that is kind of about. All I really have to say, like I said, it, like I said, it, it's. Tr- I think for me because I had just watched season three, it was I was a little more like, a but like aware of certain some of those certain like maybe more pandery or fan servicey moments, like just the little lines and and, and things. But um, I don't think that that's necessarily a flaw. I'm not going to give it a flaw. I mean, it's written by Milch. It's well written, um, and and all that. Uh, I mean, I'm glad they didn't. Do, let me put it this way. I'm glad they didn't try to do like a whole full season of it i think that would have probably gotten a little out of hand <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm fine with and it was like it wasn't that long a movie like no, with something hours, like this they... i would have expected longer but um i'm looking it up right now and it was you know it was <laughs> it wasn't three hours it was two it was two it was two simple i mean they could have done it like as they had as a two-part miniseries or something or that and yeah. maybe Maybe that would have been better. We could have gotten a little bit more with some of the people or a little more breathing time because it does have kind of a, um, a a pace to it that feels a little rushed to, to a degree. Like things seem like they happen quicker than they do in the show because they, they have to in order to fit the runtime. You know, like Charlie Eater's Charlie dead now and then this happens and then that happens. Now there's a wedding. and <laughs> It feels like they pack a lot in there. Um, but it ends up being satisfying because the characters are there and and the writing is there and the production value is there. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it was a nice send-off for all that. For sure. And I mean, I, I don't know how many of these things, these, like, ten-year-later revisits have, have been working out. I, I'm still sort of watching some of the new X-Files episodes. I've only watched, like, the first three or four of the first new season and uh, I don't know, for lack of a better, some of them have been okay, but um, X Files didn't didn't end very strong either. So the X Files <laughs> is back problems. on. Uh, yeah, there's been two new seasons with X Files with Mulder and Scully. Right. Yeah. Oh, I never yeah. even heard of that. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just just Google search or whatever, and you'll find there's a season ten and eleven or something at this point. Because oh, wow. nine was the last one, you know, with the dog at Reyes days. Um. And I had been rewatching sort of the uh, cherry-picked better episodes of that show before I got to this because I was a huge X Files fan. Interesting, but but um, until like the later couple seasons when it sort of felt like it was big because X Files was made before that kind of serialized Lost style storytelling had been refined, and of course, and even David Lindelof will admit to this: even Lost wasn't made when that had been refined fully. <laughs> Not that it's been perfectly refined at this point, your, but but your idea, boy, yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I've grown to. I mean, in seeing interviews and stuff with Lindelof, I, I definitely like him a lot more now because he he's willing to kind of cop to the realities of the situations in making that show and, yeah. and say like we 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 kind of did promise something that we didn't really arrive at. But um, there's an uh, a show called uh, Hollywood Masters. It's on it's on Netflix, 
and there's an interview with him just a half an hour one and he talks a good bit about like the idea of like you know if you don't if you're running like uh like if you're running and you don't know what kind of race it is, that it's kind of hard when people come up to you and to ask you, you know, like, you know, what's going to, you know, <laughs> to know how to do. You know, and he uses that as an analogy. And I, and I could kind of feel for him and all that. So I'm not going to I'm not too begrudging of, of, of Lindelof uh, for those those things. It's just it just sucks. You know, you know, I could almost see something like a Lost type show getting a, uh, a reboot in 10 years, like a solid you know, three season, ten episodes a season, not not a network show type take, and it could be good. But hmm. yeah, I mean, I mean, the the Twin Peaks, David Lynch thing, people were crazy over to the point where they were like saying that it was the best movie of the year and saying stupid shit like that, which is like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is a sixteen hour movie. That come on, guys, get over. Yeah, it. I'm show. glad you brought that up because I was thinking of Lynch as an example to similar to. Milch and how he kind of he has a great blend of like comedy over horror <laughs> the same way Milch right. has a good blend of comedy over drama or whatever where you can't have you know where <laughs> where it's tough to do both or whatever but yeah like yeah. the same way they brought back the Twin Peaks cast like 25 years after the I end know, of season nuts. 2 and kind of did need a f- well for David uh, for Lynch, his stuff's so weird. Like you kind of do yeah. need a season for him. It's not like a three-hour movie would have allowed him the canvas to do what right. he wants to do. But yeah, that's a that's a fair comparison as far as like you know bringing a bunch of old characters that used to be something back in the nineties, I guess early nineties, late eighties, maybe. I don't I don't know when Twin Peaks season one was, but yeah, yeah it was early nineties. Fair comparison. And, and, and 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 a network TV show. I think it was on CBS or ABC was, or something. I mean, yeah, so, I feel like it was ABC. So they, yeah, so it was a, so uh, there was a lot of things different. I mean, not to really get too far. Spoilers for this because we'll just go ahead and talk about this for a minute because I <laughs> I could talk about it for a second. Uh, I mean, it gets it goes in all kinds of interesting places. I'm sure at some point I'll want to revisit it because I had rewatched the series and the movie and stuff like you know a year or two before before the uh, new season came out and. And I have sort of mixed feelings about it. I mean, it's tough to divorce yourself from everybody. Like, I, I can't honestly say that it blew me away the way it seemed to blow a lot of other people away. There was some cool stuff in it, and there was some interesting things in it. But there was also, I, I think 16 episodes was a bloat. I think that there's things uh, he's doing. completely it, agree. It is, but it's more of what I was saying earlier. Like, I just want to spend yeah, right. time with Agent Cooper and wh- whoever oh, sure. interacts well, with that, him. I, I don't care about the, right. the extremely weird, convoluted what's going on in that, in right, that yeah, yeah. or the new they, they did introduce some new characters too and most of the like like the big one i'm thinking of is the um oh the, the kid that always plays weirdos playing a weirdo in the woods with his girlfriend and it's like i don't even know what this is about like this just seems like an extra add-on um and then like you said i, I totally was i'm totally with you on the agent cooper thing and then they kind of throw us you know throw us into the what they do with Cooper ends up being kind of frustrating, I think. But at the end, you still kind of get that satisfying. At least like the last two episodes of fan service, you know, I am the FBI, and I'm like, this is awesome. I'm back, you know, like, let's do it. Yeah. Um, but a whole bunch of other stuff was kind of like, I don't know how much of this I needed to spin its wheels at. I mean, but then you said there are the other characters, so because it's a show, you get to sort of see these other things. You get to see the evil Cooper running around yeah. doing his stuff. <laughs> you get to see Lynch himself back kind of going on with crazy things. Yeah, yeah. Gordon or whatever his name was. 
<laughs> he is Gordon, yeah. And uh, and so uh, I don't know. I think I think I think it could have been a tighter twelve episodes and cut out some of those other things that were more. Yeah, I think com- like who knows what. You I know? think season three or whatever it's called, the return, whatever you want to call it, right. I'll call it season three. I, I kind of prefer yeah, I that to uh, Fire Walk with Me and those sort of like oh, sure. same sort of attempt. Well, I guess that's qu- right. kind of a pre. I mean, yeah, it's a pre. Yeah, I guess that I think would the be big a criticism. I feel like there. it was kind of overlapping yeah. with season one at some point, but uh, Lynch's stuff is a whole other bag, and I, <laughs> that yeah. is not the best thing to talk about. I feel like I would sound stupid trying to either, oh, I would either too, and explain I do, sure. the plot or what happened or what I think it means because I don't think that's the point. <laughs> Again, yeah, I, no, I just yeah, want to exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and I did too. And then, I mean, the, the, there was there was some other fun characters he introduced in this. I mean, it was, it was I'll rewatch it maybe in twenty years or something. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So um, anyway, so that was kind of Deadwood and just the idea of his revisiting show things. I mean, Blade Runner thing was another good revisit. I think. Yeah. There has been a, there's been a few. I mean, now they're going to do another Ghostbusters. We'll see what the heck that turns into. But I feel like people have been so weirdly precious with Ghostbusters that blowing up the idea of what that could be as a sort of horror comedy, genre-blending, action-adventure 80s thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how much you can kind of be authentic to revisiting that. With uh, You have to kind of just move forward. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just like the Last Jedi stuff. You and I have talked about that in the past. It's like, you know, what do you do with Luke Skywalker when he's... In his fifties, you know, kind of stuff, or sixties, yeah. I guess. I don't know how old Hamill is, yeah. but it's like but, you can't satisfy everybody. But you do no, kind of have to figure out where the audience is. So this yeah. that audience is now that much older. So you know, be careful with it because all the fanboys will, you know, <laughs> take you out. Yeah, I think I think it seems to me that. It, they're definitely running into that problem. They want to have their cake and eat it too, with with being able to use these properties for the cachet of bringing in a built-in audience. But then they don't necessarily, str- they can't necessarily straddle the two audiences of the new audience and the old audience, where there are legitimate differences. I think the old audience wants, yeah, the old audience star- would say I, they, Luke for Star, Luke for star throw Wars, away yeah, his lightsaber, and the young audience would laugh at that. <laughs> well, I think the young, the young audience. I would laugh at that. I, I thought that was fine for the beginning, but then, then, then you're going to see the predictable old man begrudgingly kind of moves back into being a teacher, and that just didn't happen in that, you know? Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I didn't have a problem with the first third of The Last Jedi. I had a problem more with the middle, and then sort of the, you know, all the same stuff that most people complain about. But not not to go down that can of worms too much, but, <laughs> I, get, but I get what you mean, you know? If you're going to do a different kind of story where it's going to be more about, it's not the Skywalker saga... Then okay, fine, but you know you kind of have to set that up 